how do we create a customer first experience so you don't have to go through that all that negative pain points of what the traditional incumbents offer today do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit then you're in the right place welcome to growth everywhere this is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs they'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis so if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Before we jump into today's interview, if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well, that would be a huge help to the podcast. So if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it, please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks so much. Okay, everyone. Today, we have Raul Gandhi, who is the CEO and co-founder of MakeSpace, which is based in New York. And it is convenient, simple, on-demand storage solution that basically takes the self out of, quote-unquote, self-storage. I'm going to let Raul explain what that all means in a second. But Raul, how's it going? It's going great. I appreciate uh, you taking the time to, to, to interview me on your show and look forward to sharing more about the company and myself, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us a little more about, I guess, maybe yourself and your story first before we jump into the, the MakeSpace story. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a classic tale of, of, I think, we've seen a lot of entrepreneurs. I, I grew up around entrepreneurship. My father, many of my cousins were all entrepreneurs. Uh, my dad started uh, his first restaurant when I was uh, around seven years old. And I kind of, you know, saw the highs and lows of, of building a business. We, you know, pretty early on, I went through a, a bankruptcy process with him. That was really the start of me creating an avenue for myself to be able to earn money and to, to learn how to build a business on my own. And so my early days were baseball card trading companies, uh, things of that sort that just put money in my pocket. Um, and eventually it, it culminated into me starting MakeSpace about five years ago. Wonderful. And, and so with, with MakeSpace, I guess, let's talk a little bit about MakeSpace first, um, kind of what it is, uh, what it does exactly, and we'll go from there. Yeah. So, so about five years ago, um, I had gone through the self-storage experience and Hurricane Sandy had hit New York City. Um, I was forced to move out of my apartment and put stuff into, um, into a self-storage unit that was right around the corner from my place. I was lucky that there was one that was close. Um, and then I had to rent a car, pack up all my stuff, get to a storage unit. I ended up probably needing a small space of probably a hundred dollars a month. And of course, you know, you get there and you're ready to go and, and there's no hundred dollar a month units available because there's fixed sizes within that facility. Um, and I ended up paying north of $600 a month when I didn't need to in an already stressful situation. And so at first, for me, it was how can we have uh, you know automated experiences around getting vehicles sent to us and being able to call Ubers whenever we want, and yet you're still stuck in the ninth, you know, 50, 60 years ago for an experience that exists in self storage, and that was the start of it. And um, I teamed up with, with two other entrepreneurs here in New York. Uh, the first wave was to figure out how do we create a customer first experience, so you don't have to go through that all that negative pain points of what the traditional incumbents offer today. Um, what we uncovered was was a really interesting system that's both a logistics and supply chain challenge that we use a lot of interesting technology to be able to, 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 to really solve some of the issues that we have on a day-to-day -day basis to scale. And then ultimately what, what we realized was 
simply just need to take that real estate that sits inside of the city that has this enormous cost component to it. And you can move all that outside of a city into a much cheaper industrial park that has warehouses and simply pass that cost savings on to the customer. So what that ultimately gives is a five-star experience that is customer first to, to, to our customers. And, um, and, and it allows us to deliver it at a price that, that makes a lot of sense to customers who are looking for you know, a much better experience than what exists in the market today. Uh, so that's a little bit about MakeSpace. We've, you know, we've been growing incredibly fast. We're currently in five markets. We're in Chicago, DC, New York, New Jersey, and Los Angeles. Um, we've stored north of a million items across all of those markets and over 4 million cubic feet in the storage world. So seeing incredible scale, we're continuing to, to, to dig further in these markets and preparing for, for a much bigger expansion plan over the course of, of the next uh, year, year and a half. That's awesome. So your business started because of Hurricane Sandy. Yeah, I think you're going to hear, um, you know, when, when you go through that type of experience, you always things that just spurn up because you're, it's such a stressful environment. Um, and, and I know, you know, we're, we're, we're in a very unique industry that during times of these stressful experiences, uh, you, you're forced to use it. And so for us, you know, being technologists and myself being uh, spending most of my career in technology, it was just natural to say, like, why is it existing that way today? Um, and, that, and that's what we set out to, to really solve. That's funny. Okay. <laughs> it's, you know, I hear all these crazy stories about Hurricane Sandy, but you started a big business because of it. I had one of my friends who's now a lawyer. When Hurricane Sandy happened, everyone was packing up. He ended up going for a jog. <laughs> so there's all these crazy things that happen from it. Anyway, how do you guys make money? Yeah, so it's, it's, it's very much like a subscription business. If you look at other, you know, when compare us to other e-commerce businesses, what we do is we'll take all the items that you want to put into to call a quote-unquote state, um, similar to what you see in the traditional self-storage market, we'll pick up all those items for you and take inventory of them. But more importantly, we're measuring them. So it goes back to my experience where I said that, you know, I had to pay $600 for uh, probably a unit that I needed that was supposed to be $100. Our, our value prop is that we don't want you to pay for more than what you need to store. Uh, so, so for us, what we do is um, once we measure all your items, we effectively put you inside of a plan that then just has a monthly recurring cost to it. And then if you want to bring your stuff back, whether you want one item or several items, we have a small fee that's associated with that. So it gives you, you know, the flexibility to be able to call your seasonal stuff back. It gives you the flexibility to, you know, keep much larger items in storage until you actually need them. And there's only fees really attached to that. We also you know, offer some insurance plans in case you, you're storing something that's really valuable and you just want that extra comfort that you have protection against it. Um, but mostly it's a recurring just one month, it's a recurring monthly fee that you have to pay to just keep your stuff in storage. Not different from what you see in the environment from the traditional market today. Interesting. Okay. And what kind of, what kind of numbers can you reveal around the business, such as revenues, growth rates, customers, things like that? Yeah, so you know we've we, we're we we more than doubled the business last year uh, over the course of yeah, last year. We're we're on pace to do to something similar this year. I, I don't normally share uh, overall revenue numbers, but I think the clip at which we're growing has has really caught the attention of the market as well. Um, like I said, we we're, we're in five markets today, and really when you look at the traditional storage world, it, it's all measured on the number of cubic feet that that you really store, and for us. Now, getting to a point where we score stored over a million items across our markets and, and that equates to you know north of four million cubic feet 
you know, we manage over 11 warehouse spaces today to be able to accommodate all of that. And so the sheer scale in just those five markets has us super, super excited about other markets that we plan to, to eventually come into, like San Francisco, um, more, more than likely Texas, Seattle, and, and places like that. Awesome. Okay. And so in terms of, of customer acquisition, I guess, how did you go about acquiring, let's say your first, uh, since you have so many customers, your first thousand customers? Yeah. So it's funny, you know, when we first started, our first customer came in because we launched our Yelp page and we literally had our office address on there. And the customer didn't know whether we were a traditional, they didn't really know what we were. They just knew that we were a storage company. And so literally that was that was our first experience. It wasn't even through the website or word of mouth. It was really through, through that Yelp page that we had. Um, and, you know, we, I leased a vehicle. I was the one driving for the first, you know, 200 customers to learn the entire experience and to make sure we really did have product market fit um, here in New York, especially. And that first customer was interesting. It didn't immediately lead to many others. But what we found was just by brute force and by, you know, getting some small press hits, um, as well as, you know, doing some standard digital ads that, that we had pushed out across the, the normal channels that you see today, um, we started to see flow coming in. And the most important thing that I think helped us get from, you know, call it the first five customers to the first thousand was word of mouth and referrals. I think we were able to really um, push down hard on that because we did a, we did interesting partnerships with Companies that resonated, you know, with many folks here in New York, like Shake Shack, for example, which wouldn't seem obvious on the face of it, why they would partner with a storage company. But, you know, if you used our service, we'd give you uh, free fries and a burger and a drink at Shake Shack at a particular day of the week. And just tying ourselves to established brands really helped people want to look into what we were doing and then being able to you know, push hard on um out-of-home advertising on top of that was super helpful as well. And, and I think that combination was what drove us to start to get much bigger exponential growth and, and people really just understanding that, hey, you know, there is a new type of storage service out there. We're going through, we may not be going through a, an experience right now that, that makes us want storage, but when we do need storage at some point, you know, this is the company that comes to mind. And, and I think that's how we got to the first time. Yeah, I remember. I mean, you know, the times I go to New York, I I usually stay at the same hotel, and then you know, I'll, I'll look outside, and then I'll see your your ad. Literally, like as I'm running in the morning, I see this makes. I was like, what is this makes face thing? And I just keep hearing about it over and over. And then now, lo and behold, we're we're here talking. But right. I look at the name too, and I, I think the name was also. How did you go about coming up with the name? Because it's very it's very memorable and it makes sense. You know, it, it was one of those things like an aha moment with with with, with our with our team. We just we were we were you know toying around with. Um, several ideas. It's really a credit to, to one of my co-founders who, who on the whim thought of the name. And it, and, and for us, like we were, we really wanted the name to be one word and we were toying around with ways that we could do that. And then make space just resonated so much with all of us. And even, you know, most of the people that we talked to, we just knew right away that, Hey, if we were going to launch with, with something, this was going to be, this was going to be what, what, what would help us, uh, you know, really capture the attention of people all across the city. And then having that name like plastered on your cars and vehicles sitting on, um, you know, billboards and on the train. And when you see it, it just, you know, people immediately understand in theory what the business does and it creates that interest level of coming in to explore more on the convenience side. 
Yeah, it's it's very easy. I mean, we don't talk about this often on this podcast, but the the ability to recall the brand is super important. That's why the name is is really important. But I also want to talk about, I guess, creating a, a company like this where there's a lot of uh, physical, you know, logistical situations that uh, because there's a lot of software people that listen to this podcast, it must it sounds like a headache, right? Even to me, like you know, just like liking to do software and working with SaaS companies, it's just like. Like I, I'm like just like man, I can never do that. So, how did you go about learning about the ins and outs of, of creating a business like this? Because I imagine there's a ton of moving parts, right? Yeah, you know, so so I didn't come from a logistics background. You know, work, working out of a warehouse wasn't was, was pretty foreign to me, or, or driving a truck and um, understanding what the day to day what the day to day is like for a delivery driver. I, I didn't even know what that meant, and. Um, and I think the most important thing that we did to understand how we could use technology to solve, you know, that transportation issue of routing and creating, replicating a sense of having thousands and thousands of appointments when you only maybe have 20 or 30 a day when you're getting off the ground, um, understanding how tech can solve that. And then on the other end, like, how do you actually store all of these items inside of a warehouse and take advantage of, you know, high ceilings and understand density and and really, you know, you, you take that cost basis and continue to drive it down so you can really disrupt an industry. And that's what we're doing is, you know, if you think about innovators dilemma, it's a, it's a very similar concept here where the incumbents just, just aren't prepared to, to, to react to the things that we offer in market because the supply chain is and, and the setup is so different. And so um, what it comes back to is really just that that was why it was so important for me to actually drive and for me to actually do the legwork. Because pretty quickly, what, what I realized was the market didn't, you know, not only was the storage market stuck 50, 60 years ago, but the logistics world wasn't very different. And so when I saw the WMS systems that sat out there, um, and this is, and the WMS system is really just how do you track all your items inside of a warehouse and create efficiency? Um, and then, you know, when I saw the transportation systems out there and companies like Fresh Direct and others and what they were doing, I realized that there was no common solution for everyone that you really needed to customize it partly for your own business. But, you know, we were in a unique time, particularly on the transportation side, where we didn't have to worry about the mapping piece of it. It was really around how do we start to create complex algorithms that help us understand what kind of truck to send out on what day and how many people to actually have on that truck so we could deliver a good customer experience and actually create the right, you know, send out the right right um, tools and resources so we don't have additional costs coming into the system. And so, um, you know, a combination of all of that just created a massive tech challenge. And uh, I think I would not have understood how to solve that or how to even think about that had I not just, you know, realized that the first year, two years, we're going to be just brute force and be getting um, getting my hands dirty and really understanding, you know, what the business needed and being able to figure out pretty quickly that, hey, there is a massive technology opportunity here. And, you know, it's not just for this business today, but I think what we're doing on, on both of those sides, transportation and warehousing, uh, you know, quite, quite frankly, doesn't exist in market today. And, and I think that's why you see much of our investor base coming from traditional tech community as opposed to other players that you would see, you know, investing in much bigger retail names and things of that sort. Um, this is really a truly tech challenge uh, if you want to make it work at scale. Yeah. I, I, like, I mean, for you to hit product market fit, it sounds like, I mean, there's a lot of hand-to-hand combat in the beginning. How long did it really take take it for you to, to see, like, man, this stuff is really working? You know, it's we had a lot of false positives in the early days. And it's funny when you, when you I'm sure you've talked to other entrepreneurs said the same thing. It seems so rosy. 
on the outside. But there are, there's a lot of times where you think you have it and pretty quickly you realize through, you know, for us, it was through expansion that the product that we were offering in New York wasn't quite, you know, the same product that resonated with folks in Chicago and in DT, for example. And when we started this business out, we really wanted to contain um, the items that we would take. And it was mostly because we were still learning on the logistics side and it was hard for us to figure out how to store a couch and some of these larger items. But we would, uh, we basically customized these heavy duty bins for the business in our early days. And we'd had people, you know, really just kind of contain their storage items to what they could fit in bins and maybe a bicycle or a few other things on top of that. Um, and we saw great success for the first year and a half, two years. I mean, we, we went from nothing to, you know, pretty much like a $2 million top line business. It felt like overnight. It was painful. It was great. It was exciting. And then we decided to take that same product and move to Chicago and D.C. And we were shocked. And we didn't have nearly that same impact. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, as an entrepreneur, you really need to you need to always be aware that you have to make tweaks to your product. You have to listen to your customer. You have to really understand if you're going to work at scale, like it may not be a one size fits all in every area, particularly for our type of business. You may need to have tweaks in every market that you need to understand before you walk into that particular market. And, um, and really what we learned was not only, not only did that, did we have to tweak the product in in Chicago and DC, we also needed to in New York. Um, And, and, some point we realized that we're reinventing the wheel too much. So you looked at the traditional storage market where they were selling space. People understood space when they were looking at our service. It was really hard to say, Hey, I've got a five by five space that cost me X, Y, Z at Manhattan mini or public storage. I don't, I'm having a tough time understanding what that means in make space. And quite frankly, you're not taking my couch or my chair. So are you really storage or what are you? Uh, and, and that aha moment then led us to, hey, I think if we want to be a disruptor, we have to figure out how to offer space to customers because, you know, the customer's already educated on that. And we have to do an overhaul of our operations and really start to take everything. Um, and that happened in 2015. You know, it was it was a shock as to how much explosive growth we saw. Uh, it was, you know, we literally set up a small sales team, which was which composed of myself and two other people on um, on a staff. And we would just take customer calls and, and listen to them. And we put up landing pages just to get this space product out there. And, and what we realized right away was that's what people understand. That's what resonates. Um, and, and, you know, fast forward to where we are today. That's really what's led to the massive growth that we see in our system. Awesome. Congratulations on that. So, you know, when I look at something like this, I'm like, man, you know, it's, it's how would I even get something like this going? I mean, how did you go about finding, you know, the right co-founders, the right tech people to, to help you put everything together, the subject matter experts for things that you probably didn't even know that you needed? Like, how did that all come together? Yeah, you know, in, um, really the early days of the co-founder relationships, it was mostly just belief in it. Like, we just knew that this, you know, in the world we sat in even five years ago, we just knew this, 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 this service had to change. It's, it was like, you know, you just go back to when Netflix was starting out and looking at Blockbuster and Blockbuster would send out surveys and say, hey, there's no way that this retail storefront experience would get disrupted because people like to buy popcorn or read the back of a movie um, and that Netflix was going to go away. And you just knew the world was moving in that direction. And I think for, for us, um, the three of us, when we came together, just had incredible amount of conviction, even though we didn't have 
know, call it the right experience from a warehousing and logistics standpoint to, to get the company purely off the ground. But it, it was just that belief that, you know, we realized, okay, you know, we need to split up in different ways. We had one person who was our technologist. Um, I raised my hand and said, look, I'm going to go drive the vehicle and do, you know, the ground leg work to really understand what it's going to take to get this business off the ground. Um, and then our other co-founder would sit on the phones and, you know, take in support calls or do outbound calls and just just, just wherever we could to really fight and, and get this off the ground. And then that's what we did. And I think what was the most successful thing for us and, and really, um, you know, a little bit part of my background where I used to be a venture capitalist in, in my previous life for a few years, I learned the value of, of creating advisory networks and you know, as in as an investor in my previous life, even if it was, it was a short period of time, I learned the value of tapping into functional experts to really get feedback on various opportunities for particularly things that, you know, I wasn't as familiar with. And I think that same thinking really helped us here because on the logistics side, you know, we found people at Fresh Direct. We found people at Amazon, We, you know, early people at Quidzy, which was ultimately bought by Amazon. And we relied on them to really help guide us for some of the missteps we were going to have. But most importantly, we, we took all the advice that we got with a grain of salt because we knew that something really needed to be custom built for this service in order to make it work and in order to get that customer first experience right. Um, and ultimately, it was just trial and error, right? But but having all of that together was was you know it was a hugely daunting task, and I never thought. I'd go to business school and do all of these different things. And, and, you know, I'd come out and for the first two years of getting off the ground, you know, you had to learn how to be a van driver. You had to learn how to open up a warehouse and set up a rack and put stuff on a rack and make sure your tracking systems can evolve from an Excel spreadsheet to actual really sophisticated large scale systems that can predict when people are going to pull things out. You just you sort sort of have to see those opportunities as they start to arise when you get off the ground. But it, this this was this was one of the most incredibly hard challenges, most rewarding challenges that I've ever been a part of. Um, but it certainly wasn't easy along the way. Got it. That's awesome, man. So yeah, we're working towards wrapping up. I mean, I think this is a good template for anybody to get started with with things that where you feel like uh, it's a, it's a business opportunity where you might lose your shirt. Um, you just you know you grind it out and eventually you figure it out, or uh, you know you you start from scratch and you you, you go again. So. My next question for you is more around tools because we like to talk about tools on this podcast. So what is one new tool that you've added in the last year that's added a lot of value to your life? So it could be like a Peloton bike or it could be like Evernote. You know, um, that's a that's 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 a great question. Um, so, you know, I do use Evernote a lot. I've sort of, um, you know, most of the tools and hacks that I've added in life recently have not been, believe it or not, tech related. Um, I'm a single dad and I have twin daughters. So for me, like time management has been incredibly important. And so I've, uh, you know, some of the, some of the tools that I think can be pertinent to people that that are listening to this are are really just hacks around things that they can do to, to maximize their time. And what I'd say is, you know, for me, the biggest thing was I used to be a believer in, in whenever I got meetings, I'd, you know, set them for an hour and make them as long as possible just to get the most value out of them. But I realized now coming into meetings and coming out, you know, you've got to have set agendas. I got 30 minutes on calendar and, you know, there, there's a set path for making sure you get the most out of that 30 minutes and creating clear action items and prepping for those conversations is, is equally as important. Um, one of the things that, that I have been doing that, you know, could be interesting is, I maximize anytime I'm in a car, anytime I'm in a train, that's usually when I'm responding to most of my emails. 
Um, that has been an incredibly product productive hack for me as of late, especially as, as you know, my time has gotten uh, a lot harder to manage with all of the things that are happening at the business, et cetera. But in terms of the tools that you specifically asked for, the Evernote's a great one because I'm, I've been religious about writing stuff in notebooks and to have, you know, one place where I can put all my stuff um, inside of a, inside of a system that allows me to capture it and search for it anytime. I've been using that for, for many years and I live and die by that system. So it's funny that you even mentioned that, but that's some of the stuff that I can share. It's, you know, I, I, I don't think I have anything unique in terms of the software that I'm using today that's, that's given me some productivity hacks, although I'm always searching for, uh, for email hacks, for sure, if there's new email systems, things like that coming out. Yeah. Dude, I'll, I'll, I'll give you one. Okay. I mean, we use, um, we use Front. Um, I'm not sure if you okay. heard of Front, but it, it, it's amazing because it allows us to, believe it or not, I mean, we use Twilio for, um, for text messaging people, right, that put in their phone number as a, as a lead form. Right. But what you can actually do with Front is you can integrate it and you can actually respond to those people. So, for example, if I'm doing like a webinar, some people respond sometimes like, oh, my God, I can't attend, whatever. You can actually start a conversation that way with perhaps some of your enterprise leads. And plus it integrates with all your other CRMs, whatever, and you can collaborate uh, through email. So that might actually save you a lot of time. Um, I'm not a spokesperson for front. Um, I just love it. That's great. I'll, I'll give that a shot after this for sure. Cool. Yeah. My final question for you is around the must read book you'd recommend to the audience. So the book, my caveat is it cannot be the hard thing about hard things. Cause that's the, the, the number one on this podcast. No, it's actually, I'll give you one that I'm reading right now. So I can't talk um, about it because I haven't gone through the whole book yet, but it's been exciting for me. Um, it's, it's a book called Principles, Life and Work by Ray Dalio, who is the founder of, of, of Bridgewater. Um, you know, his, his background has always resonated with me because most people don't know. I mean, he was he was dirt broke when he was getting the company off the ground. Um, but one of the things that, that, that led me to his book was, you know, as an entrepreneur in your early days and when you start to scale and bring in a lot of comp- a lot of people that buy into your mission and, and want to build your organization with you, you're always dealing with hard issues. And, you know, to be able to figure out how to remain transparent, to be able to figure out how to you know, be truthful for, with yourself and the organization of, you know, where the company is at, where we're going, how do we get there? It's always, you know, especially in the early days of being a first time entrepreneur, it's always a struggle because there, you don't know what's the risk capacity of the people that, that are involved in your organization. And I think Ray you know, has, has, has outlined an incredible framework that started with, you know, just an essay that he penned that turned into this book um, that I've you know, sort of always set out to want to read when I when I first heard it came out. But, um, you know, some of the learnings that you, you can just get out of that in terms of how to deal with tough situations and how to be honest with yourself and build a lasting culture. Um, I think this book is really, to me, at least from the start of it, is looking like it's going to become the Bible for that. Awesome. Yeah. Great book. Very meaty book. Um, I, so much that I, I got the book and I had to get it on an audio book. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Raul, what is the best way for people to find you online? This has been great. Yeah. So great. So I'm across all the, all the channels, Twitter, um, Facebook, you know, Instagram, et cetera. You can, you, you know, I, I, I've been overwhelmed by probably the blogging world. I don't blog as much anymore, but certainly um, you can find me on any of those channels. And um, also, you know, if you want to email me directly, uh, the, the, my email address is just my first name, Rahul at makespace.com. Always open to, to getting emails and having conversations with new people. All right, Raul, thanks so much for doing this. All right, take care. Thanks again. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing.